The following sermon, entitled Salvation by Grace Alone, the 11th in the series of the Book of Ephesians, the Blessed Church of Christ, was preached on the evening of January 30th, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's turn in the sacred scriptures again to the book of Ephesians. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians chapter 2. We'll again read the second chapter. And we will consider verses 8-10 through 10 tonight as our text. Ephesians chapter 2, this is the inspired Word of our God. And you hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We end our scripture reading at that point. The text for tonight's sermon is verses 8-10. through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In our series, in which we are going through the book of Ephesians, we have come to one of the grandest statements in all of Scripture. This is a passage we memorized when we were small children. This is a passage that countless Orthodox theologians have appealed to to defend the truth concerning our salvation. This is arguably one of the most important doctrinal statements in all of sacred Scripture. 
And what sets it apart is that it contains some of the most profound truths, but yet is set forth in the simplest, clearest language. These are the ABCs of salvation. And for all those reasons, perhaps there's a part of us that is almost reluctant to consider a text like this. Confess to you as a minister, this passage is intimidating to preach on. What can possibly be said about this passage of Scripture that has not been said hundreds of times over throughout the history of the church? And maybe for us as a congregation, there's a sense in which we think, well, we know these truths already. We've been taught this our whole lives. Why do we need to hear this again? But this is an important passage for us to consider. Exactly because of the clarity that it provides for us regarding our salvation. It's in considering such a passage as this that we're solidified in our understanding of the doctrines of grace. And that helps us even as so many errors sweep through the church. But more than that, there are practical reasons for considering this passage. Because this is our salvation we're talking about. This is not just a mere proof text. But it's talking about how we are saved and what makes us a Christian. And we understand the importance of that when we recognize that there's nothing more important in all the world than our salvation. And added to that, the, the whole of the Christian life flows out of our thankfulness for salvation. So this text is important from even a practical point of view. And with that, we, and we bear that all, all that in mind as we come to this grand statement in Scripture regarding our salvation. The statement comes in the context of Paul's argument that he's been making in chapter 2. He's been setting forth, for, setting forth before us the exceeding greatness of God's power to us, His people. He began doing that, especially in verses 1-3 through of this chapter in which he set before us our sinful past condition. He talked about the depths of our sin. He then went on to Describe the salvation, the heights to which we've been raised. And now verses 8-10 through come as a sort of summary statement, a conclusion to the matter. You are saved by grace. In addition, the Apostle Paul is explaining exactly why God will show forth the exceeding riches of His grace to all future generations. That's what he said in verse 7. That in the ages to come, that is in all future ages, he might show, that is, He might display the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 8. For, here comes the reason, ye are saved by grace through faith. And all of that fits into the broader theme of this book, the blessedness of the church of Christ. This is one of the most important aspects of that blessedness, that salvation is by grace and grace alone. So let's consider this passage using that as our theme. Salvation by grace alone. Tonight we'll consider first the gracious salvation. Second, the works that are excluded. And third, the proper boasting. Salvation by grace alone. The gracious salvation, the works excluded, and the proper boasting. This passage of Scripture concerns our salvation. That's right on the surface. For by grace ye are saved. That raises the question, what is it to be saved? And to answer that question, we need merely to remind ourselves of everything we've talked about in this series thus far. For included in our salvation is our election that God chose us in eternity. Included is our sanctification for He chose us unto holiness. Included is our adoption, for we were predestinated unto sonship. Included is our redemption. That's really the heart and center of our salvation. Christ's work to ransom us 
by His own blood. Salvation includes the forgiveness of sins that Paul mentioned in chapter 1, verse 7. The fact that they've all been blotted out, removed from us as far as east is from the west. Included is the fact that we're now heirs. We have the right to an inheritance. What is more, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a, an earnest to seal us to the day of redemption. There are those blessings He mentioned most recently in verses 4-7 through seven that we've been quickened together with Christ, raised with Christ, and made to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. All of that that the Apostle Paul has already described for us is included under the broad umbrella of our salvation. So that if we ask, what is salvation? It is being delivered from the greatest possible evil and being given the greatest possible good. That's salvation. But this passage is not so much about what is salvation. Instead, Ephesians 2, verses 8-10 through is all about how we are saved. What makes us a Christian? Is it because something we have done? Is it on account of our works that we're saved? Or is it due to some decision that we made for Jesus Christ? Ephesians 2, verses 8-10 through is arguably one of the most important passages concerning salvation in all of Scripture exactly because it states clearly and simply, God saves by grace through faith. That's what this passage teaches. God saves by grace through faith. And the rest of this first point is really an unpacking of that one statement. God saves us is the teaching of this passage of Scripture. That comes out in the opening line, for by grace are ye saved. It does not say you saved yourselves, but it's put in the passive voice, ye are saved. And if we ask who's the one doing the saving, the answer of Scripture is that salvation is of the Lord. He is the one who saves us. This comes out in verse 10 of the passage, for we are His, that is, God's workmanship. And the idea of workmanship there is something that's made, something that's produced, and the idea is something made by a skilled artisan, by a a master craftsman. And God is that master craftsman. He's the one who accomplishes our salvation. He's the one who applies His salvation. We are His workmanship because God saves us. And we recognize that God saves us in and through Jesus Christ. That is, the saving work of Jesus Christ is the the basis, the foundation for our salvation. We're going to come to talk about the cause of our salvation and the instrument of our salvation, but we need to start with the basis. The basis is Christ's saving work. Both His perfect obedience to the law of God as well as His perfect satisfaction of the justice of God and bearing the punishment we deserve for our sins. Christ earned our salvation. He merited our salvation. He accomplished our salvation. And we are made partakers of that on account of our union with Christ. Remember, that's something Paul has brought up again and again and again as we've gone through the book of Ephesians. That we are in Christ. We're united to Christ. And thus we are made to share in the blessings He has earned for us. And one of those is that we're now created in Christ Jesus. It's part of the specific instruction that's included here in this passage, verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is not talking about our physical creation, but our spiritual creation. The fact that we who are in Christ are now new creatures. We've been given a new man, new life, a life from above. It's talking about the fact that we've been recreated in the image of our God. So that the image, the the knowledge, the righteousness, and the holiness of our God has been restored to us. It's talking about the fact that we are now being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ Himself. That God is at work to mold us and to shape us so that more and more we look like Christ 
spiritually. That's a part of the salvation that God accomplishes for His people in and through Jesus Christ. And all of this is to say, God is the one who saves us. And God does this by grace. By grace is the clear teaching of the text. For by grace are ye saved. God's grace is His spiritual power whereby He saves us. And that's rooted in His undeserved favor toward us. That's the more basic idea of God's grace that we're probably most familiar with. God's grace is His undeserved favor. That's what Scripture is talking about when, for example, it speaks of Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is, when Noah looked up toward God, he saw favor in God's eyes. And such an attitude of favor is always entirely undeserved. Because as sinners, what we deserve is God's wrath and judgment. What we deserve when we look up into God's eyes is for to, is to see his, his wrath and His fury against our sins. So for God to have such an attitude of favor is entirely undeserved. We deserve the exact opposite. But now grace is more than His undeserved favor because God's grace comes to that undeserved favor comes to show itself, to express itself in God's work of delivering us from that greatest possible evil and giving us, bestowing upon us the greatest possible good. That is, grace is the power whereby God saves us in Jesus Christ. That's the idea of being saved by grace. To put it differently, God's grace is the cause of our salvation. We mentioned the basis. We'll talk about the instrument, the cause, or to be more specific and technical, the efficient cause of our salvation. The thing that makes it happen is God's grace. We could put it still differently than that. It's the power of our salvation. It's the cause of our salvation. We could also say it's the explanation for our salvation. What explains why God chose us in eternity to be His people. Grace. What explains why Jesus Christ was willing to be born of a woman to suffer all of His life long to die on the cross of Calvary for us? Grace. What explains why the Spirit of Christ now takes those blessings and sovereignly and efficaciously bestows them upon us. Working in us that salvation and preserving us all the way till the day that we're glorified. What explains that? God's grace. And we can go a step further even. What explains why we are sorry for our sins and seek forgiveness for them? What explains that we make a small beginning in a life of new obedience unto our God? Grace. Grace is the explanation for the beginning of our salvation, for the end of our salvation, and everything in between. And that makes the whole of our salvation undeserved and unmerited. Undeserved. This is God does not save us because of anything that He sees within us. There's no way that we have made ourselves to differ, set ourselves apart from others. It's undeserved. And it's unmerited. We've not earned it. When God gives us salvation, He's not compensating us for anything. He's not paying us back in any way. It's entirely gracious. And you see, this is something Paul wishes to emphasize it's evident from the fact that he already mentioned this in the, the course of what he's teaching us here. Already back in verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath He quickened us together with Christ. And then he just inserts, 
by grace ye are saved. He interrupts his whole argument that he's making. It's as though he can't even contain himself. He, he can't keep it in. He knows he's going to get to talking about God's grace, but before he gets to the summary, already in verse 5, he can't help but bring it in. We're saved by grace. And then even though he already mentioned it in verse 5, he circles back to it again in verse 8. He never tires of repeating it. Why would he? How could he say anything else? How could he say anything else when he thought back on that blaspheming Saul of Tarsus who hated Christ, who hated the church of Christ, and was ever breathing out threatenings and slaughter. When he thought back on that, what he was apart from grace, and considered where he was at now, what else could he say? But to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, Paul viewed himself as exhibit A of this truth he's talking about. We're saved by grace. It's grace, beloved, and grace alone. That's the power. That's the cause. That's the explanation for our salvation. But how then do we receive that salvation? Well, God saves us by grace through faith. Through faith. Faith is how we receive that salvation. That's the teaching of the text when he says in verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith. That is, faith is the instrument. It's the means whereby we receive our salvation. Basis, Christ's saving work. Cause, God's grace. The instrument, faith. But now let's explain that a little further. Part of the work of God in saving us is that through the Spirit of Christ, we are united to our Savior Jesus Christ. We are now in Christ. And when the Holy Spirit establishes that union, when He gives us new life, a part of that work is that He gives to us the faculty of faith. He implants within our hearts the seed of faith. And when that life of Christ now comes to us through that union with Him, that life of Christ touches that seed of faith, that faculty of faith, so that our faith becomes active. And the activity of faith is that it receives Christ and the blessings of salvation that He has earned for us. Faith is the instrument whereby we appropriate Christ and His salvation. Faith lays hold of Christ and looks to Him for salvation. It's by faith that we come to possess and to enjoy all the blessings of salvation. It's faith that embraces Christ and His merits. That's what we mean when we say faith is the instrument that we're saved through faith. And now because God is the one who saves us by grace through faith, that means that the whole of our salvation is a gift from God. And that too is the teaching of this passage. Verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now admittedly, there is considerable debate about how to understand that phrase, it is the gift of God. Even amongst orthodox theologians, there's disagreement. And the disagreement has to do with what is the gift? When we read in verse 8, and that, not of yourselves, it is the, and it is the gift of God. What is the that? What is the it referring back to? Is it referring to God's grace? Is it referring to Faith, or is it referring to being saved? 
And the debate is due to the fact that the Greek language, the, the original Greek here, is inconclusive, if not puzzling. And without getting into all the details, we're not going to have a lesson in Greek grammar tonight, that explains the debate. Because it, it doesn't just settle the matter what it's referring back to. But now exactly because the grammar is inconclusive, for that reason, I believe it is best to take the that, the it, the gift, in the broadest sense, as encompassing all of the above. That is, faith is a gift. Grace is a gift. Being saved is a gift. All three of those statements are in perfect harmony with the rest of Scripture. All three of them are true. And that's really the point Paul is trying to drive home, isn't he? God saves us by grace through faith. The whole of it is therefore a gift from God freely given to us. And it's exactly because that is true that all works are excluded from our salvation. The Apostle makes that clear that we are not the ones who save ourselves. Verse 8, he says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And in harmony with what we were just saying regarding that statement, and interpreting it in the broadest sense possible, verse 8 is therefore teaching us that salvation in that broad sense, it's not of ourselves. It's not something we accomplish. It's not man's work. And under that broad statement, there are two particulars that we need to address specifically tonight that are the two halves of this second point. First of all, it's not our works that save us. And secondly, it's not faith itself that saves us. First, good works do not save us. That's the teaching of verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And the Apostle Paul has to state this explicitly exactly because man is always trying to make works a part of what gets him saved, a part of what makes him a Christian. This is true already in the days of the Apostle Paul. And the Judaizers who were teaching that in order to be saved, a man has to be circumcised and keep the Old Testament ceremonial laws. And we find the same thing all throughout church history, whether it was Pelagius in the days of Augustine, whether it's the Roman Catholic Church, whether it's the federal vision of our day, man is always trying to insert his works into the equation of how he's saved, of what makes him a Christian. To be sure, they all talk of grace. Some of them speak often of God's grace. But if you ask them to spell grace, their answer will inevitably be W-O-R-K-S. In other words, if you ask them to explain what do you mean when you talk about grace and how it factors in with everything else you're saying, it becomes clear their view is not that we're saved by grace, but that it's our works that save us. But such a view is contrary to Scripture. This passage tells us plainly, it's not of ourselves. It's not of our works. And that means, congregation, that what makes us a Christian is not that we come to church twice on a Sunday. What makes us a Christian is not that we read our Bibles and pray during the course of the week. What makes us a Christian is not that we avoid so much of the immorality that we see in the world all around us. What makes us a Christian is not that we work diligently in whatever vocation or calling that God has given to us. It's no deed that we've performed. It's no duty that we've accomplished that makes us a Christian or that saves us. 
It cannot be exactly because we're saved by grace. You see, for Paul to now add, it's not of works, is for him really to, to, add, the, to add the corresponding negative statement to what he's already said positively. The positive is, you're saved by grace, and that then rules out being saved by works. Exactly because grace and works are mutually exclusive when it comes to our salvation. And that's the teaching of Scripture. For example, in Romans 11, verse 6, Paul says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You can't have the two together in salvation. You can't have it part grace and part works. The two are mutually exclusive. And that also comes out in the fact that salvation is a gift. The whole idea of a gift is that it's something freely given to us. That in contrast to wages, something that's earned. And that's why Paul uses the language that he does in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for example, for the wages of sin is death. That is, we earn death by our sin, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's not by works. And to make that clear, it's why the Reformed faith adds that little word alone. We say we're saved by grace, and we add that, and when we add that little word alone, we're saying not by works. But now the Apostle Paul is not content merely to state this. He goes on to explain it. And explain more specifically why it is that our works are not what save us. And he does so in verse 10. Verse 10, Paul adds, for, here comes the reason why it's not of works, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This, passage, this verse is explaining why our works don't save us. And this is an important explanation exactly because the regenerated child of God does perform good works. That's a part of the passage. In that verse that we just read, we read that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is teaching us the same thing that we read about in Titus 2, verse 14, that Christ redeemed us to make us zealous of good works. He saved us that we might produce the fruit of good works. And we can even call them our good works. Exactly because of what the Apostle Paul teaches us here in verse 10, that we walk in them. Verse 10, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It's saying we perform these good works consciously and willingly. We are active in our obedience so that our walk of life is completely different than what it was apart from grace. That's the contrast that the Apostle Paul has here in view. He, he talked about our walk of life apart from grace back in verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, that is our walk of life in times past, in the lust of the flesh. That was our walk. But because we've been created in Christ Jesus, He now works in us in such a way that we now walk in good works. And it's exactly because that's true that the Apostle Paul has to explain why those works are not a part of what gets us saved. They're not what make us a Christian. Why not, Paul? Because God before ordained that you would walk in them. That's the answer He gives. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Him. God decreed our good works. And not just from a general point of view that we would perform good works, but specifically, 
the exact good works that every one of us would perform were determined in eternity past. And in time, God then works in us by His Spirit and by His grace to will and to do. That is, to perform those good works. That's Philippians 2, verse 13. God works it in us. And exactly because He before ordained them, exactly because He's the one who works them in us, we're beholden to God for our works. God gets the credit for them. The whole of them. God is the one who works in us the desire to live a life of good works. He's the one who arranges all the circumstances for us to perform a good works. He's the one who works in us the, the willing of the good work and the actual performance of the good work. God is first in all of that. And thus, it cannot be that our works are the thing that save us. It cannot be that our works are what make us a Christian. To teach that is to put it all backwards. Because the reality is that God makes us a Christian so that we might do perform good works. And the teaching of so many others today is that we do good works so that we become a Christian. And I say again, that's backwards. It's not good works that lead to salvation. It's salvation that leads to good works. And it's so crucially important that we maintain this. That we have this proper understanding of good works. Yes, we walk in them. Yes, we are active in our obedience. But let us not become guilty of overemphasizing that activity to the point we begin to minimize the beautiful and glorious truth. This is God's work. He before ordained them. He's the one who works in us the willing and the doing. That's been the emphasis of our churches throughout our history. And may it be true by God's grace that that continues to be the emphasis for many years to come. So it's not works that save us. But neither is it faith itself that saves us. And that's the other particular that we need to consider tonight exactly because, again, man is always trying to twist faith into something it's not. To make faith the thing that saves us. This is something I encountered even in preparing for this sermon and the different resources I checked. One of them, put it this way in explaining this passage of Scripture, grace is God's part. Faith is our part. That is, faith is our part. What makes us a Christian. What gets us saved. This is the view of the Arminian. According to the Arminian, in the Old Testament, God required perfect obedience to His law. But now as those who live in the New Testament, the new requirement is faith that you believe. And God now takes faith instead of, in place of obedience to the law as that which gives us the right to eternal life. And in that way, faith is made a condition. Faith is turned really into a work, into the thing that saves us. And there are many other variations of this. But it's not faith that saves. It's not faith itself. In other words, what makes us a Christian is not because of some decision that we made. It's how you'll often hear evangelical Christians talking about their salvation. Well, ten years ago, I, I made a decision for Christ. I chose Him and decided to be saved. That's not how Paul puts it. 
It's not the language he uses when he recounts his conversion on the road to Damascus. He doesn't say, ten years ago, I made a decision for Christ on that road that day. But if you go back and you read those accounts, it's clear what Paul's getting at is that I was drawn by a powerful and irresistible grace. It was grace that saved me. It's not faith itself. It's not even faith in Christ that saves us, but Christ saves us by means of, through the instrument of faith. And to say that's in harmony with Scripture because the language that we find in Scripture is that we're saved by faith or through faith, never on account of faith or because of our faith. Well, why not? Two main reasons. First, because faith is a gift. And even if that's not what Ephesians 2 verse 8 is talking about when it says it is a gift of God, it's still the teaching of the whole of Scripture. That's the teaching of Hebrews 12 verse 2, which teaches us that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. It comes from Him. It's the teaching of Philippians 1 verse 29, which teaches that it's been given to us to believe. Not just the faculty of faith, but the very activity of faith that's given to us. Faith is a gift. It's something Christ earned for us. We received faith on the basis of His saving work. And it's worked in our hearts, kindled in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Exactly because it's a gift, it cannot be the thing that makes us a Christian. Secondly, faith itself does not save us because of the very character of faith. The nature and character of faith is that it looks away from self and it looks to Christ. Faith is Christ-reliant, not self-reliant. Faith involves an abandoning of self and not a promoting of oneself. Faith rests in Christ. It embraces Him. It trusts in Him. That's the character of faith. And for that reason, it's not because we made some decision for Christ. It's not faith itself that saves us. And again, it's crucially important that we maintain this. Especially in this time of controversy. Yes, yes, faith is an activity. We need to hold on to the language of our confessions which teach us that man is himself rightly said to believe. That's the canons of Dort. We need to maintain that faith embraces Christ, appropriates Christ, believes in Him, knows Him, trusts Him, and all those other active verbs. But let us not be guilty of so emphasizing the activity of faith that we begin to minimize the truth that God's the one who works in us. Both the will to believe and the act of believing. Let us not be guilty of twisting faith, of turning it into a work, of making it something we have to do in order to be saved. And again, this is a part of our history as a congregation, as a denomination. Rejecting a false, wrong idea and wrong understanding of faith and recognizing it merely as that instrument whereby we receive Christ and the salvation that He has accomplished. Because it's God who saves by grace, through faith. And may that, beloved, be our boast. May that be what we glory in. For proper boasting is the boasting in the sovereign God of our salvation. 
We boast in Him exactly because there is no room for boasting in and of ourselves. That's the teaching of this passage of Scripture. Paul tells us in verse 9 that this is not of works, lest any man should boast. What he's getting at is that the fact that salvation is not of works excludes all boasting. And this is worth... Paul makes a point of this exactly because he recognizes that if it was the other way around, if it was because of our works, or if it was because of our faith, then we would have wherein to boast. Paul says that in one of his other epistles. In Romans chapter 4, verse 2, he says, "...for if Abraham were justified by works..." He hath whereof the glory. Then he would have reason to boast. That is, he would have reason to glory in his own abilities, to glory in his own accomplishments. But we're not saved by works. God saves us by grace through faith. And thus, there's no room for boasting. It's Romans 3, verse 27, after Paul teaches the truth that we're justified by faith apart from works, he says, where is boasting then? It's excluded. There's no room left for it. And not even a little bit. It comes out in what Paul says here in Ephesians 2, verse 9, when he says, lest any man should boast. The idea is, lest any man should even start to boast. Lest any man would even begin to think he has room for boasting. There's none of it. It's all excluded. You understand why this is so important to Paul, right? It's so important to Paul because before he was a Christian, he was a man full of boasting. There was no one so proud as Saul of Tarsus. There was no one so self-reliant and self-confident as that man. And we can say that because he tells us so. In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about how if any man had reason to boast on account of the flesh because of what he had done. It was him. And he goes on to list all the things that he boasted about. All the things he bragged about. He boasted about his circumcision. He boasted about his nationality. He boasted about his education. His keeping of the law. His zeal in persecuting. What Paul was saying is, look at all that I've done. Look at all the things that set me apart from everyone else. He boasted in Himself. But now as one who's saved by grace, He recognizes the folly of it all. And He tells us about the foolishness of such boasting. And He puts it in in language that's perhaps stronger than we would ever dare to put it. He says of all those things wherein He used to boast, it's all dung. It's manure. It's filth. It's vile. Don't put your trust in that. It's not your confidence. And if you have any reason to doubt, then I have a proposal for you. Write down on a piece of paper everything that you believe makes you pleasing to God. Write it all out. Take your time. Make a long list. And now imagine taking that piece of paper and bringing it to God on Judgment Day and saying, here is what I have done. It would be laughable if this was not such a serious matter. And exactly because it's so serious, 
Paul wants to make a point of saying, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. That is, boast in and of himself, of his own abilities, of his own accomplishments, of his own works, of his own faith. Because God saves us by grace alone, through faith alone. And that then becomes our boast, beloved. When this passage speaks of having no room for boasting, it's talking about boasting in and of ourselves. But it's not saying that the Christian never boasts at all because we do, beloved. We boast in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We do so with the Apostle Paul who says, but God forbid that I should glory, that as I should boast, same word, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we glory in. And that boasting comes to expression in thankful praise for our gracious salvation. And oh, we have reason to be thankful. Thank God that it's not of works. Because if it were, we would be undone. We would have no hope. We would stand condemned. Praise be to God that it's not of works, but it's all of grace. And exactly because that's true, let us praise Him. Remember, this is not a mere proof text, beloved. This is our salvation, your salvation, my salvation that we're talking about. Let this be more than a proof text for us. Let this be a doxology for us that rings in our hearts. God saves us by grace alone, through faith alone, and let that be our boast. And may that come to expression in a life of praise to this glorious God. Amen. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word, which is so rich and so beautiful, but at the same time so clear and simple. And we pray that Thou wilt strengthen our conviction in the truths that we have heard tonight. We believe them, Father. And may our commitment to them be all the stronger, having been reminded of these precious truths that it's by grace that we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of Thee, not of works, lest we should ever be guilty of boasting. And may we instead glory in the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ. Hear this prayer for His sake. Amen.